So it's called Choose Wonder Over Worry. And it basically brings to life all of these stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. All of these like, and I bring, I bring worry and wonder to life as these characters. Worry is our inner critic. Wonder is our curious inner guide. And basically, you know, what I discovered over the last 10 years, both with myself and any person that I worked with, is that whatever we were feeding, whether we were feeding worry or feeding wonder, that is the life we created and who we became. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Sup, yo. Welcome to the podcast. Guys, do you think we cuss a lot or no? (laughs) I feel like we don't, actually. What the fuck are you talking about? You know. So we got some feedback. Literally, we one get bit of, we get one bad feedback. One bad feedback yeah. and we're like to our face. I just I was digging my grave in the backyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly. That's how it feels. For the rest of the day, I'm gonna think about it's one, annoying. one person saying that we cuss sometimes. But cussing is like you have a perception of what a curse word is and what a curse word represents. And you have a perception that a curse word means something bad based on what? Well, because I think, you know, growing up. Uh, oh yeah. My mom. I mean, my no, mom. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's more like don't cuss. That means you are uneducated. That yep. means you are whatever. So, you know, we're, we're preaching, not preaching, sorry, yeah. wrong word, but we are hopefully inspiring and, and building a community of women who are all of these great things. And, and some people think that cursing doesn't mm-hmm. align with that truth. Yeah. And just for us, it just comes out it and that's does. our truth. I don't really know. Even with our guests to too. Say. Like I want people to feel like they can express themselves if they whatever. want to. Yeah. So, you know, let's have a conversation about it. What do you guys think? Open to your suggestions, all of that. <laughs> also almost 30 is tagged explicit so yeah <laughs> we just uh i just got a dm from someone that we dm'd about an interview and they're like hey yeah sounds good um i'm not 30 is that okay yes it is oh yeah always um, we are moving i had my unbound goodies that they sent us so unbound is um <laughs> who found company. them <laughs> who found them zach. zach i left it on purpose so zach and uh justin had to move my dresser and so i just left uh the glass dildo in the top drawer love hilarious have you they were. They didn't think it was funny though. They they were kind of freaked out. They're like, oh god! <laughs> They're like tossing it between each other. Like, don't yeah. touch it. You touch it. They're like, it's all slick too. I'm like, no, it's not. I had a friend of mine stay at, at my apartment, and like I, uh, and he's a guy. Uh, while I was away, and I was like, I didn't even think twice about like. He's like, aren't you? Don't you think I'm gonna snoop or something or like find some stuff? I was like, huh? Sniff my underwear. I'm like, I'm like, no. I'm like, do your thing. I have nothing to hide. But I was thinking, I was like, oh, hilarious. He's definitely gonna go through my bedside table and find 
some things. 100%. Whatever. And do what? He's like, I don't even know what a vibrator would look like. I'm like, all right. right. That's a lie. As he presses the button and it starts to vibrate. Yeah. That's when he like tickles his balls. Uh, Do vibrators feel good on balls? I wonder. I always wonder that. I do too. I feel like it would be too much. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Let us know. Let us know. So guys, we are in the thick of it on tour. Come see us on tour. We would love to see you. We've had some really impactful, meaningful conversations and it just means a lot, you know, to see you guys connect with one another and then create your own communities on Facebook, you know, in Boston, Chicago, LA, all the, all the cities and then outside of it. So um, we really here are, are here to facilitate you meeting other like-minded, amazing awesome individuals and to provide you inspiration and guidance as much as we can in a way that is easy to digest and consume. That is what we are here for. So welcome to the podcast again. We are so happy you're here and this is going to be a good one with our friend Amber Ray. Yeah, we were so lucky in Amber New York. Amber went to college with me. I know. At Miami. Oh, she's a little bit older, but she went to Miami of Ohio. So any they, alum. They seek you out. I know. I love that. I know. Or like you guys I, are just connected is what I mean. Yeah. Like I don't really. Cause, I, well, it's because it's like uh we came from us. It's not very common, I guess, to be, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, living in New York as a writer or living in LA mm-hmm. as a podcast host, you know, from Ohio, sure, from Hamilton, Ohio. Um, so when she DM'd me, I was like a little, actually, she's done so much work in her book. Actually, I read it all is, is incredible. I really love it. And I love following her on Instagram, but I was like, oh, she went to Miami too. And I'm like, I like kind of was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, because I know people have their assumptions of it. Um, mm. But Amber Ray is awesome. She's basically like the Brene Brown of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an amazing artist and writer and a creative. And this podcast was so fun. Yeah, we Chloe. Were- Chloe said she loved it. When Chloe sits up and says we were in, I, I we were in a hotel we were in a hotel room in New York on the Lower East Side at mm-hmm. Hotel Indigo, mm-hmm. and um, we we were just hanging in the hotel room recording, and Chloe was in bed doing work, like doing her little thing, and then her head pops up. She's like, "I I loved it," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, thank She's like, God, that was a good one." I know. Thank God. <laughs> She's our toughest toughest critic. <laughs> I was like, "Thank God, it was awesome." But yeah, it was awesome. It felt so natural it felt so right um she was so vulnerable and honest mm. about her journey and things that it inspired me to be more vulnerable about a bull about you know she talked about having an attraction to someone else outside of her relationship so it really inspired me to kind of think about how really being honest about your emotions or feelings with your partner could help you guys really grow and expand and kind of giving them opportunity not saying that i have had that feeling um with justin or anything like that but I just was really inspired about the authenticity and the vulnerability that she shared. And um, if you guys want a good follow on Instagram, I really love following her page. She's a great artist. And especially for entrepreneurs and creatives, mm. it um, really, I find I relate to a lot of her posts. So Amber Ray is an author, artist, speaker. She is a curious human being. Her new book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, is liberating people all over the world. Um, And, you know, she's just like you. If you found yourself in a job, in a situation, in a relationship where you feel um, stuck, uh, where you feel like weight on you as if you can't be inspired or move 
to uh, a higher sense of yourself. She's been there and she is helping people over the world become unstuck and really conquer any fears. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Amber Ray. She is a light and we are so grateful to have had this uh, discussion with her. And if you love this episode, pass it on to someone. It means so much to us. Please join our secret Facebook group. We are waiting for you in there. There's over 5,000 of us. Don't let that intimidate you. Um, these conversations are real and raw and, um, it's a super, super supportive community. People all the time ask questions, you know, however deep and vulnerable and minutes later, there are 20, 30, 40 comments supporting them, helping them. So please join. We'd love to see you in there and definitely find us on tour. We're halfway through, probably not halfway. It's probably going to go on forever. We just love meeting you guys. It's the best. It's actually life. So thank you. If you've already come on the tour, we really, really, really appreciate it. Almost30podcast.com slash tour. We can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to hug your little body. You're the best. Well, I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy this episode. That's your first, how many podcasts? First podcast Um, on others? No, I've done about a hundred. A hundred? Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought this was exclusive. <laughs> oh my god! I love that. Yeah, this is my. I think my second one in person, though. Okay, good. Oh, so, and you're okay, gonna cool. see the magic. Yeah. Whoa, well, that is crazy. And this is, I, I will say, one of the ones I was most excited about. Thank you. I feel honey. like the community mm-hmm. is just so spot on with. Oh, spot like, on. Yeah. When you messaged me, that was crazy because you were like, "Yeah, I went to Miami." I'm like, I don't really know anyone that's like in this space yes mm. create like a creative um yeah outside of the box entrepreneur yes mm-hmm. and and that's probably me not knowing what anyone's doing True. having my head in my ass but I really was like so surprised and then I was like looking at what you're doing I'm like wow that's like incredible mm. how did you like what was like the what was the tipping point I guess from growing up in Chicago going to a mostly white college, Miami, mm-hmm. that was not very diverse to where you are today. Like, how did you become someone that is so open, is so aligned, is doing something different, is living in New York, is an author, is a creative? Like, what was that like? It was the breakdown. Yeah. It was, you know, I feel like even Miami into Chicago, even into San Francisco, I was working in Silicon Valley. It was very much following the path of who I thought I was supposed to be and who I thought other people wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. I was popping Adderall to be more productive and to be thin. I Mm. was thinking I need to climb the ladder. I was really just hustling for approval. And that led to a full panic attack and breakdown moment. And that's when I realized this is so not me. Mm. Like this is not my life. Where'd you have the breakdown at? There were a few breakdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Where's your breakdown place of choice? I mean, I I remember the first where I pulled an all-nighter at Miami. Mm -hmm. I was like Adderall, like which yes, very as you do big thing at our at that school. And I remember having actually a seizure outside of my apartment, and that was like one of the scary ones. But that didn't have me stop. So there were a few moments, like a few scary like like an actual seizure well it like i like blacked out oh my god and like came in and out of consciousness Uh, and then like nervous system just going crazy going crazy and then like 20 minutes later i don't know how long yeah i was passed out for yeah and then i woke up and i was outside my front door like on Mm. sidewalk someone delivered you (laughs) yeah whoa that's crazy and then i prescribed um i manipulated a psychiatrist Uh, i tried to and they caught me (laughs) 
I was like, yeah. She was like, like she's talking to you and you're like, what did you say? I'm thinking about eight other things. I literally was acting. You're like, exactly. what do you think that is? Yeah, she's like, I'm like, huh? What's that butterfly? And she was like, I think you need um, more help. No joke. She's like, I think you need to see someone else. <laughs> What's above a psychiatrist? <laughs> Anyways, but that was a blessing in disguise. But continue. Absolutely. How'd you do that? And, well, I feel like I was a few years before you. So I think they were starting to catch on yeah. by around like uh, we were sharing. I'm, I graduated in 2007. You graduated in 2010. And so I probably won in like 2004 or five. And I was recommended someone who did the same thing. So I went and saw her guy in Cincinnati. And I just went in and knew what he wanted to hear. Mm. And he like, I mean, he wrote me a prescription for 60 milligrams a day. You're lying. Which is like what would kill a small cat. Dude, that's crazy. It was, I mean, I wasn't taking that much. And then of, of how course- How did you know not to take that much? You just like knew by- well, yeah, you, I knew you just by like it how it- Yeah, I would break it, it up. So I would like take 10 milligrams and I was like wired, Dude. you know, like lots of highlighters and underlines <laughs> while studying Dude. or going out or whatever it yeah. was. So I, yeah, I was like a shadow of myself. Ugh. And then the, the, the main panic attack was in San Francisco where it was like floor of my apartment- heart beating out of my chest where I actually thought I might be dying because it was like so, so intense. And for a long time, I didn't let myself feel my feelings. I was like, I'm a nice, good girl. I don't get angry. Like everything is perfect and positive and I am happy, you know? And, and that really, I felt like built up in that moment as well. And that's when I was like, okay, I've had enough. Like, I can't keep doing this. This is so not me. This is so not my life. Yeah. And that's when I decided some, like something has to drastically change. Mm. And so I quit my job, sold all my belongings and moved to New York in 48 hours. Whoa, right after that moment? Right after that, like soon after that moment, I, I sat down with a friend of mine and I was like, I feel called to New York and I don't know why. And I'd never been to New York, but I was like, I just like feel like I have to go there. And that was my, my intuition, my soul speaking. And he was like, well, then you have to go. And I was like, but you know, I have this job. I have all these, all this like stuff in my apartment. I have a car. And he was like, well, quit the job. I can borrow your car for a little while if you need it. And like sell your stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I have a thousand dollars in my bank account. And he's like, great. That makes a better story. And that like, that really helped me realizing like, wait, I'm just telling a story. And so far the story that I've been buying into that I need to hustle for success and approval and validation, like the story that I had been creating of my life was so not serving me. And I started thinking like, wait, what would be a story that would actually energize, excite, expand me? Like, what's the story that I want my life to be? And that's when I was like, well, I would make some like crazy leap like that. Like, why not? Like, I have this opportunity now in my life. And so I did. And that was really, I think, the beginning of like what began to, to shift because I, I wrote a, I was writing a Tumblr at that point back when Tumblr was a mm-hmm. thing. And at first it just started as a journal to sort of like sort through my feelings, things I was going through. Um, like questions like, who am I? Why am I here? I was asking all those big life questions. And so I wrote about this leap from San Francisco to New York and the piece ended up going viral. Wow. Mm. You left before leaping was cool. Yeah. You know, like yeah. now I feel like it's pretty- Everyone's leaping, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because this was like, this was 2009, I think. Did, oh, wow. did you listen listen to your intuition before? Like, I, I'm surprised that you were, you were putting like, it off for that. so long and then you heard this ping and you listened to this one. I mean, I, w- I was always very intuitive, even as a kid and like always creative, always making things. Even in college, like I worked with Apple, which mm-hmm. all came through this like intuitive pull. I went to this one place, met this guy and it sort of happened um, really randomly. 
But then it was like I was putting so many destructive behaviors on top of my intuition that I was ignoring it. So it was like like when you when I was popping Adderall, I couldn't hear. I couldn't even feel what was true and what was not true. Like I was so not myself. Mm. And so like I feel like there's our true self and there's our not self. And I had I was buying into this not self, which is really buying into I think our society's definition of what success looks like or me trying to be that. And then just began to wonder, wait, what would my true self do here? Like what feels true? And that and that's when the listening began again. What did your family and friends think? So I didn't tell anyone what I was doing until I got to the airport. <laughs> Good one. Cool. Except for except for my roommate who was super supportive. But in, and it took me, because I thought about New York for about nine months. Mm. And when I talked to mentors about it, because I was like, I was doing great and like great on paper in tech. Like I was talking to Facebook and Google about possibly working there. Mm-hmm. And um, my mentors were like, you're crazy. What are you going to go be like a life coach or something? Like you can't, I'm not letting, they said, I'm not letting you leave this career path. Mm. And, you know, that was really hard to hear. But the, you know, the one friend Amit who was like, go. And then I just knew I had to. So I called my mom when I got to the airport and said, don't be mad, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but here's what I'm doing. And my mom, you know, she was an entrepreneur and she's, she was interior design and in the, in construction, real estate development. And so she, she was used to risk taking. And so she didn't freak out. She was just like, okay, it's a little like dramatic, but fine, be safe. Call me when you get there. I believe in you. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a choice at that point. She may have like had me slow it down a little bit or like think about it a little bit more, but, but she knew like she's got this. So when you landed in New York and you only had a thousand dollars in your bank account, like were you staying with friends? Like what did it feel like when you got there? What was kind of, did you have a plan of action? So yeah, I stayed with a a friend initially and I sold my car. So that gave me a little bit more cash. So when I sold my belongings, I had like three months of New York runway. And um, so I stayed with a friend at first and then found an apartment living with two other roommates and then basically was like, okay, I got to hustle. So I have three months and I'm just going to like, A, how can I make money? B, how can I explore my curiosities? Those are like the two questions I was asking myself. How can I add to the runway so I can continue to explore and experiment? And the friend who encouraged me to make the leap, I called him up and said, hey, you know, um, are you doing, he had this like photography community and business that was just thriving. And I said, hey, what if I was your East Coast sidekick? Like help me make like lock in collaborations, add deals, like whatever. Let me see if I can support you. And he had a lot of relationships with like Squarespace and Tumblr and Vimeo and Busted Tees. Those are all Mm -hmm. many friends of Mm -hmm. his. So he started making all these introductions. And I remember I walked into Squarespace and sold like a large ad deal in five minutes. And that was like, okay, great. Now I have two and a half more months of runway. And so it just became like, I was just like in this mode of, of hustling. And then with my curiosities, I was like, you know, I was writing a ton more. Um, I started this late night co-working group called New York Night Owls. And I wanted to bring people together late at night because I was, I was not working. I was like working from like 9 p.m. till 3 Mm a.m. It was very much in that like New York City um, lifestyle. And that idea ended up spreading to three or 30 countries in three months. And we were on the front page of the New York Times business section and ABC World News did a story. So that was like the one idea that took off of the like 12 I was playing with. What was the idea behind that? It was that so many, there were all these co-working spaces in New York. It was like, that was the new thing. And no one was using the co-working spaces at night, but so many people were working alone at night. 
So it's like, what if we got together and actually built community around like late night work, which is mm. so the opposite of who I am now. I'm yeah. like not trying to work from 9 p.m. till 3 yeah, <laughs> I was like very, I was still very much in I'm like, like the early birds crew. <laughs> You can have like, the night owl crew. I'm the early birds. Yeah. So like that was just sort of, you know, early cool, 20s though. hustle mode that I was in. Yeah. Did you, how did you advertise? Like how would someone get people to come to their meetup? Yeah, we created like New NewYorkNightOwls.com, I think it was. And then we tapped into the community of the already existing co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. So they like let their people know. We let like our people, we just like posted, posted about it on social media. And I think like 45 people showed up to the first one. Wow. And so we're like, oh, there's something to this. And yeah. then other people in cities and countries started saying, oh, I want, like, this is a great idea. I want this too. Hmm. There, was a, there was a surprising demand of people who didn't want to work alone at night. Yeah, there is. There is like, I do feel like Justin always feels like night owls get a bad rap. Yeah. You know, because he is a night owl. He likes to stay up late. But he, I feel like there is like a, a sense of community that you could create. Mm-hmm. Did you monetize that? We, you know, this was the tension point between me, me and the co-founder. Mm-hmm. He, we started to, and that's when I lost interest in working late at night. <laughs> and I like, I don't know. I wanted it to not be, for whatever reason, that was probably a story I had about money at the time. Mm-hmm. But that's when he sort of took it on and it, it, it like sort of worked, but didn't really work. Mm-hmm. That was harder to scale. Um, when you got to New York, like, were there any temptations that kind of triggered you back to not necessarily Adderall, but like that feeling of kind of numbing or, you know, just being on something? Yeah, I feel like probably, you know, from Adderall, it probably took me four or five years to fully peel back all the layers of my different numbing and avoiding coping mm-hmm. mechanisms, whether yeah. that was like avoiding conflict in a relationship totally. or mm-hmm. like going out partying or not allowing or making my feelings wrong. I feel like, you know, that that went on for a period of time and it was like a slow process of understanding what behaviors were and were not serving me, like food mm-hmm. to numb. Cause then like, you know, Adderall like sped up your metabolism and made you so thin, made me so thin. And then like all of a sudden I started gaining weight, didn't know how to do that, didn't know how to like control my appetite or mm-hmm. know what my true appetite was, both creatively as well as like from a food and nourish- nourishment perspective. So like it took me a while to also learn how to remotivate myself to understand like what truly was was driving me and motivating me. Sure. So true because Adderall like is a motivator. Like it's like crack. So yeah. you're like motivated by nothing. You're motivated mm-hmm. by like a by like an outside stimulant. source and like yeah. a stimulant. So yeah. Yeah, finding what actually is truly motivating you. That's so interesting. Which became really the question. So like I'm a big believer that our mess can be our message. Uh-huh. So like my whole mess and that like became the core question of mine. Like what truly drives and motivates me? What are my true curiosities? Who am I really? Mm. And then that's like, that is what the foundation of, you know, I'd say the last 10 years of my life has been. Mm. That's like what sent me on this crazy journey. What did your post that went viral? What, like, what did you write about? I, base, I shared that I had quit my job, sold my stuff and moved in 48 hours and that I was on this quest to like discover who I really was. Wow. And not who I thought everyone else wanted me to be. Mm. Mm. What was it like, what did you learn like working in Silicon Valley or in that area where most of the industry is uh, men? Yeah. You know, yeah. what did that teach you about business yeah. and about yourself or maybe it even triggered some things. 
Well, I realized, so I realized in my, in this whole healing journey that, so I lost my father when I was young. Mm. How old were you? I was three when he got in an accident. Actually, he was, he was like a, he was a brilliant artist, singer, songwriter, businessman, but also like love, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Wow. And he was on tour for his band Dreamer. He was like played seven instruments, lead, lead guitarist, songwriter. And he um, got behind the wheel of a car under the influence. And that led to the death of his best friend. And he got into, he went into a coma. He didn't die, but he, so he was basically never regained full consciousness from when I was three until 12. So the, the absence of him, I feel like created this like father size hole in my heart that I didn't know was there. And so I was trying to fill the void of him and the, fill the void and the desire for love and approval from men mm. with Adderall with like working in a male dominated industry where Mm. men could validate me. And so I I felt like Silicon Valley and even what motivated me to go there was for men to approve me, to approve of me by me proving myself to them. Mm. And so I was like hustling and that's what I was really going for. And I didn't realize that was motivating me at the time. I was like, I'm so interested in innovation and technology. No bullshit. I I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, That's such a fascinating like way to, because it is almost like empowering because you're like, I want to, you know, be amongst what I know is like power, but, and to learn it and to kind of be one of them. But like, what was it like as a child? Cause like, those are really formative years. Mm -hmm. Like, did you have an awareness of what was going on? Like, how do you think that like, has affected you just like kind of this idea that your father is like not really here, but he's here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, thanks to my mom, who yeah. is just like a total badass and like played both roles so well and was like both the provider as well as the caretaker. And like, she was my best friend growing up. I, you know, I'm really grateful for the way that she like mothered and fathered me to her best ability. And, you know, but at the same time, there was like, it always felt like something was missing or like not there. And I was just, you know, I was, I was, I wanted to know and I was curious about it. And it like, cause my mom kept it, didn't, I didn't really know, know about it until I think I was like, actually, I mean, I start the book, like I vividly remember one of my first memories is talking to him on the phone, my dad. Mm-hmm. And it was weeks before he got in the car accident. And I, my, he calls my grandmother's house and she hands me the phone and she says, it's your father. And he says to me, like, I know I haven't been around much, but know that no matter what, I'll always love you. Like I vividly remember that. Mm. And I remember, and then for my grandmother and my mom were on interesting terms, um, probably because my father had left us to go pursue his dream of music. I remember my grandmother saying to me, but don't tell your mom about this. And I just remember the feeling like I, like I, like I remember where I was standing in the kitchen when she said that. And just like the feeling in my body of like, something's not okay here. Something's not right. So of course I told my mom as soon as she picked me up and that led to like a blowout fight with them. But, you know, I remember that conversation with him. I remember weeks later then like something happening. And then it wasn't until I was like six, seven that I was like, where's dad, you know? And even on a school field trip, like we went to this care center and I remember apparently I like went to the teachers and the people at the front desk and was like, is my dad here? And so then they went and talked to my mom about that. And they're like, so she's asking for her dad on field trips. Oh. 
And so that's when my mom was like, okay, time for, like to take her to really see him. And so then when I was, I think I was like seven, eight, went and saw him in the care center. Um, and he was just, I mean, he was basically like a vegetable of himself. And so then, you know, when he actually finally passed when I was about 12, I was so relieved. I was like, mm. thank God, like, mm. woof, like he's been in this like in between space mm. for so long, for nine years. And like, he can finally rest in peace now. And so I, I felt like relief and I, you know, I, I learned to grieve. I feel like I grieved the loss of my father through breakups as interesting as that sounds and didn't know that like, like why a relationship was so heartbreaking because it was tied to a fear of abandonment with, you know, with men and people dying and things like that. And so, um, I, I grieved, I feel like him later in life, but also felt just like tremendous trust and relief that like he could now go on. Mm. Were your parents married the whole time or what? My mom got pregnant very quickly. Okay. Um, and like, at tw I think she was 21. Okay. And then they got married when she was like, I think she was eight months pregnant. Yeah. And so they were married. Um, but when the accident happened, I don't know if she'd even want me saying this, but like oh. my grandpa, because he had left mm -hmm. and it would have put us in a really bad position, my like grandpa helped figure out how to annul that marriage real quickly. Really? So she wasn't mm -hmm. responsible for him medically. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I'm like, how? Yeah. Which is why she couldn't control like, cause I think he was on machines a lot longer than he needed to be. Yeah. And that was his mother's decision. Yep. And my mom didn't have any say in that. I know. And the oh. cost of that like, for oh. that many years. I mean, we would probably would have had millions and millions of dollars in bills. Millions. Yeah. Millions. There's one of my best friends. Her best friend is in a vegetative state. She went into anaphylactic shock after eating ice cream with peanut butter in it oh. that she didn't know about. She's been in a vegetative state for six years. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, the family was so wealthy mm. and it just drains you. Mm -hmm. It's so hard and you always have hope. You know, there's sometimes where she'll move or something like that. And I can imagine with your father as a mother, her mother, his mother had hope. Mm -hmm. So hard. Mm -hmm. What is your relationship with like death? Mm. I feel pretty comfortable with death. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I feel that from you. I'm like. <laughs> Probably because I, you know. Probably because like, you live too. Yeah. And that's, and like, literally I start the book with don't die with your gifts still inside. Because that was the thought I had when he did pass. It was like, oh, thank God. And then I was pissed off and I was mad that he like wasted his life and never faced himself. Mm. And he like, because he, my mom said he was the most brilliant per like person she had ever met. Like brilliantly, like on a business and a creative perspective. And just that he had so much to give, but let, you know, his own addictions get in the way. Mm. Which is why my breakdown moment was like so like when I realized, holy shit, I'm actually following in my father's footsteps. Like it's not cocaine, but it's Adderall. And woo, I like need to get it together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Me realizing that, you know, maybe I had more in common with him than I realized. And so that was like, now I'm going to like, yeah, I'm going to live fully. And, you know, I can't control when death happens, but I can like control, like, I mean, I could have died if I had continued taking Adderall. Like who knows what that was doing mm -hmm. to my heart. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing that I am responsible for my own health. When you talked about the the breakups and your father relationship, what's can you tell a little bit more about how that's correlated? Yeah. So, 
you know, there's always underlying fears that drive our decisions and our motivations. And I mean, I definitely went through a period of time of dating emotionally available men thinking I could get them to love me. Mm. And that I think was tied to both knowing unconsciously that they would eventually leave me and it would reinforce my Mm. belief that I was not worthy of love. Mm. Because I feel like- Emotionally unavailable. Emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. Because then they would leave and then Mm -hmm. I would, because like we always find the evidence for what we choose to believe. And what I was unconsciously believing is that men I love will leave me and I am not worthy of love. Mm. And so I would date men who would reinforce that story for me. And so, you know, through, um, you know, there was one relationship in particular that was just like so heart shattering Mm. for me. And it was through grieving that and doing and beginning a lot of this healing work that I realized like, whoa, this is actually not about him. He's just a manifestation of my story. A mirror, yeah. Yeah, he's a mirror. And so realizing that was like, wow, okay, actually this breakup was a gift. And like, what is it from my childhood that I never really healed or resolved? And so that gave me an opportunity to see how, you know, so many relationships I was reinforcing that, like dating another, either like who, like another emotionally available man, another emotionally available Mm -hmm. man, until I learned that I will never leave me. Mm. And I, you know, love comes from me. Mm. And when when that happened, that's when I started to attract a completely different kind of man into my life. Because I wouldn't put up with like any bullshit. Yeah. How did you do that healing? Like, so you found that out. So how would someone heal to change that story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so much of my process and journey, I I feel like I came home to myself through writing Mm -hmm. and through journaling. And for me, it's becoming aware of the story. Like just simply illuminating, oh my God, like I have like just discovering what I just shared with you. Like when I discovered that, I like thought I like, I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, with any story we can say, is this true? You know, Byron Katie's four questions, she calls it the work, you know, is this true? Can I be sure this is true? Um, what happens when I believe in that thought? Well, when I believe that I'm not worthy of love, I become like a psychotic person. Like I like Mm -hmm. act in ways that are so not me. I go after things that aren't aligned with my truth. And like, who would I be if I believed a different thought? And then you, you turn it around to like, instead of saying the turnaround is instead of saying men I love will leave me. It's, you know, I, if I, I will never leave me is the turnaround Mm -hmm. and taking, you know, responsibility and ownership. And so I began studying different spiritual teachers like Byron Katie, yeah. where her a lot of her work is around how we shift these beliefs yeah. and just making sure that whenever I'm telling myself a story, realizing that I can look for evidence for that and that I can look for evidence that the opposite is true. Yes. And that always is so helpful for me, whether mm. that's like, oh, whether it's like rejection around, I don't know. Like book deals. A book deal. Yeah. Like I had an agent tell me like to go on an egoless journey before I give any more thought to a book and that I wasn't ready. And I was like, at first I was like, is he right? You know? What's oh, an egoless journey? I don't even know. I was like, who the hell is huh? this guy? <laughs> He's like, maybe you need to go on exactly, an egoless journey. Exactly. He's like, go to Coney Island for the weekend and call call me after. <laughs> like, what? And like that was actually one of like my flips. I was like, okay, well, how else can I look at this? Well, maybe he needs to go on an eagle's journey. Mm. I was like, or like maybe I actually am ready and here's evidence to prove that I am. Mm. You know? And so it's always looking for the evidence that the opposite of what whatever belief you have that's not serving you is also true. Wow. What was the evidence that showed up for when like you turned this into your business and your purpose? That really happened 
organically and unexpected, like in a really unexpected way. So after the whole New York experiment thing, I started working with Seth Godin. Uh, he put out this call. How'd you meet him? He put out a call in his blog that he wanted to start a new publishing experiment and he was looking for accomplices. And um, I randomly, like, I mean, this is like the synchronicity of everything. I had been reblogging an author's quotes. He reached out to me, said he loved my story. We met up. He happened to be good friends with Seth. I then grabbed coffee with Seth. And then a few months later, he put out this call. And so I filled out the application and then went through his whole like boot camp style interview process. What was it like? It was like a two-day thing. He brought in, I think, like 24 of us from around the world who were wanting to work with him on this project. And it was like, I mean, it was like, okay, you have five minutes to create a cover of a book. Now create the table of contents. Now like he would like take it in a room and be like, how do you deal with fear? And like, or like maybe, I don't know if that was the exact question, but it was just like real intense Mm. um, training and then like putting us into teams and we had to come up with pitches for books and things like that. And I remember walking out of the two days thinking there is no way that he is choosing me to be a part of this. Like absolutely not. But he did. Um, and when I was working with Seth, that's when um, I started getting more uh, just eyeballs on my my work and my writing. And that's when people started reaching out and saying, hey, I've seen you make all these major shifts mm. in your life. Can you help me? And at this point, I'm 25 years old. And I'm like, why the hell do they want me to help them with their life? Like, I'm still figuring this shit out. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Just like experimenting. But I decided, okay, this can be another experiment. And then started working with people and they started having these big results. So I was like, that's interesting. Wow. Wow. Did you feel like, was there any imposter syndrome going on? Oh, majorly. Mm. Majorly. I mean, that was a lot of like, I mean, who am I? Why would they? Yeah, I wouldn't have the balls to go to Seth Godin's boot camp interview. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'd be like, I'll get coffee for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would go. If you like spent know. 14 hours answering the initial application and then oh, he was, was like- 14 hour application? Like before I even arrived at the boot camp. And so I like filled it out and that was like, he's not going to pick mine. There's thousands. We right. need to increase our intern application. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like what's your IG handle? <laughs> What'd you have for breakfast? Yeah, honestly. I mean, I don't know if it was a 14-hour application. No, I, I spent 14 hours on it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And how were you making money at that time before you applied? That was like the, With the guy. Yeah, the guy in different experiments. Wow. Like barely making it work. Wow. Were you dating anyone at this time? I don't think so. Not not anything serious. I was still working through all the, the stories about my yeah. my lovability. Yeah. And were you on Adderall? No. When did you get, like, like, when did you, how did you feel when you took God off of it? And that was actually like, right, like when I worked with Seth, I like have never taken a pill since. Cool. I think there was like still a little bit of like slowly, I didn't want to like just immediately stop. So from Mm -hmm. like, there were like nine months from San Francisco to New York and I like very slowly completely went off of it. Wow. That's crazy. Sorry, my contact. Good. (laughs) I don't need it. Um, I want to talk about your book, your beautiful cover, Mm -hmm. the idea behind it, like what, like what, what what tapped you to create this and what will our girls find by reading it? Yeah. So it's called Choose Wonder Over Worry. Mm -hmm. And it basically brings to life all of these stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. All of these like, and I bring, I bring worry and wonder to life as these characters. Worry is our inner critic. Wonder is our curious inner guide. 
And basically, you know, what I discovered over the last 10 years, both with myself and any person that I worked with, is that whatever we were feeding, whether we were feeding worry or feeding wonder, that is the life we created and who we became. Mm. And so, you know, I, I feel like the story of my life was really moving out of worry, both about whether worry showed up as imposter syndrome or addiction or not feeling good enough or thinking I should do something to please someone else, like all, all these ways that it showed up in my life. When I fed wonder, both in wondering about who I am and wondering if these things I was telling myself were even true, that's when life opened up. And so it's, you know, the book really, it's really raw, really honest, really mm -hmm. vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then it also weaves in the different, like, you know, I, I met with neuroscientists and psychotherapists and, you know, different teachers and leaders al along cool. this 10-year path. And I weave the insights I learned from them. Yeah. What are some of those, it. like, insights, like scientific yeah. insights So what what's going on? What really drove it home for me around like even using the word worry was um, I met with a neuroscientist, Dr. James Doty. He's a neurosurgeon at Stanford. And he said that we spend nearly 80% of our time with regret about the past mm. or anxiety about the future. The average human spends 80% of their time every day in that state of worry. Mm. And that's when I was like, ugh, because that means... We're literally spending 80% of our lives on things that A, we can't control and B, we usually can't change. Mm. And so that was like, that just like hurt me mm. because I thought of like all the life we're not living as a result of these anxieties and fears that so often we're making up or we're inheriting and taking on from other people. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of it is that people are taking it on from their family mm -hmm. or... Um, yeah, it's like genetic imprinting that you get from your family that you kind of, people oftentimes need to reevaluate because it's a story, you know, yeah. that they've been telling. Because you're so raw in here. Did you write this before you met your your fiance? I I actually, I wrote the book in two and a half months last summer. Really? Um, but I wrote it in two and a half months because I'd been writing for 10 years. Okay, okay. And so a lot of it were like either stories I had told, but like, you know, it, it came out in like, these two and a half months in Bali. Yeah. But um, no, most of it was more current writing. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, I would be afraid to be so raw and honest and have my family and loved ones read it. Did you ever have that fear? Yes. Okay. <laughs> did, that fear like, come, yeah. did that fear come to light? Life? I talk about that fear in the book. So like so much of it was like, and this was because I didn't fully figure out the structure of the book until three weeks before my deadline. Mm. I just had all of this writing. But what happened in Bali is that all my anxiety about writing it and being seen and being vulnerable came mm. to the surface mm. in writing yeah. it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really good creative material. Mm. And so when we can see our own fears and vulnerabilities as material, mm. I think that's what makes our work really relatable. Mm. And so like, I just decided to really lean in yeah. Um, mm. and I, and I let my mom know, like, because I talk about in there, like a moment when I nearly cheated on my fiance, mm. when I like, and wow. I was like, his mom cannot read this. Like, she's going to hate me. Um, and just like feeling such strong sexual attraction with someone else and like all the shame and guilt yeah, that came along so with much that. Shame. Yeah. So it, well, that's, that's intense. Yeah. I want to dig into that. <laughs> yeah. Say more. Cause I feel, yeah, I would, that would be really hard to be that honest. Yeah. But it's also something that so many people experience. Yeah. So like Except for Justin. I think too. <laughs> Except so for Farhan. I know, it's my, so same. Weird. He's like he's yeah. like, I only I like only see you. Gay but for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like gay plus me. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. So it was like a year and a half ago I was at this event and I bumped into this guy and it was like a 
surge of sexual energy exploded through my body. Like, un- like, whoa. I, it like brought up all these questions. Like, is there something missing from my relationship? And it's, I was actually at a retreat this weekend and this woman talked about how we have primary and secondary soulmates. And a secondary soulmate is that like light, fire, sexual, oh my God, ugh, like sort of connection, but that usually fizzles out really quickly. And the primary soulmate is like the best friend, the person you want to build a life with, all of those things. And Farhad, my fiance, is without a doubt my primary soulmate. He's my person. Mm-hmm. And and yet I like met this secondary, you know, he, I think he, because soulmates can come in really quickly, met this guy who like awoke something in me sexually. And that just brought up all these questions mm-hmm. and fears that something was wrong with my relationship. And also like guilt and shame of like, why am I feeling this towards someone else? Like I'm really happy in this relationship. And through that process, I realized that I was avoiding some hard conversations with my fiance, with Farhad. Like we like, maybe I wasn't being as honest about my desire sexually, or maybe there were certain like behaviors that were like five years into our relationship that I was putting up with that I didn't want to anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I realized we were avoiding certain hard conversations. And so like post this experience, he actually flies to England to meet my like British family for the first time. And I am just like so distant. And he immediately is like, what is going on? And so he's like meeting my family for the first time while I like really opened up and shared with him like what happened and like the, this guy that I met and all the things. And of course he like immediately shut down Yeah, and was just like, do. yeah. And was like really hurt and thinking, you know, something was wrong with him or he wasn't able to like be enough for me is like what really came up for him. But we decided like, no, like we can work through this. Like this is actually an opportunity for us. And so we like Esther Perel, we like, you know, chatted with her and texted her and you're like, hey, what do you mean? What do you mean you chatted with Esther Perel? (laughs) Yeah. Excuse me. Hey girl, having a problem. Is that your great aunt yeah (laughs) no No, but we're connected to her through the new york community through our new york community so you had like a one-on-one farhad was at a dinner and like went deep with her about everything that was coming up for him really yeah what a gift yeah poor esther she just wants to chill (laughs) she's like damn this thing just happened she's no but what'd she say she i mean she was like you know your first relationship is over do you want another one and like and i realized like and that's like so much of her work like yeah like you know, that nothing happened, but like something isn't serving. And that was like the line that really stuck Mm -hmm. out to me is that like so much of our relationship and where there were areas of pretending or avoiding hard conversations, that was over. So Mm -hmm. what was this new beginning for us? Well, we're going to like face all the shit together and we're going to like hold hands and walk through it. And so that's what really, I feel like the last year of our relationship has been, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm so glad that we went there because I feel so much closer to him. There's so much more intimacy and depth. Like I am certain I'm marrying him and we like finally set our wedding date. It's just like, I feel like we, we had to go there and like be like, you know, what is the kind of relationship that we want? Mm. What does it look like? And like, this is like also like we're human and we're going to feel sexual attraction for other people. And like, that's okay. Let's not shame ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's just like have a, a, you know, an honest, safe space where we can talk about these things. Did he open up about any feelings that he might've, been, have experienced like he's he's also gay just for me yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. it's like Very where cool. it's like he like literally <laughs> just doesn't have any interest in other women which is really flattering and um he was actually saying last night he's like do you want like a one card where it's like you get that one chance in our relationship where you like uh, meet someone and you like can explore it and so we're like you know because i'm not open interested. relationships 
Yeah, I don't want a full open. Yeah. I like po- I don't think full polyamory. I, I dated someone who like really wanted to go there. It didn't it and we played with it. It didn't feel for me. Mm. Like I I'd rather go deeper with one person mm-hmm. than have the breadth of of, of a, lot, a lot of different people. I feel like one person can be a lot of different people and not in like a bipolar or gemini type of way. <laughs> yeah. I really no, cuz like I feel like you can you can have so much fun just kind of like tapping into different sides of people. Mhm. I don't know. Okay. I'm a different person every two years. So it's only a long <laughs> road for Justin, to be completely honest. It is interesting too, like about attraction to people because the more I love my life, the more love I exude, the more beauty I bring into my life, the more I feel like I'm going to love others or be attracted to others. So I think about that, like not in, I haven't been attracted or had interest in anyone else. But I do, I, I see where people do open relationships. It mm-hmm. makes sense to me where if you are looking to maximize the amount of love in your life, then the openness and ability to have love should be experienced by as many people as possible in whatever form that best serves you or whatever form mm-hmm. that you receive love in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you did have a relationship with your wife and you loved her and you guys, but you could also have another person that you love wholly, you know? So there is a lot of dirt and stuff around there too, but I I actually, at its very core, I understand open relationships Mm -hmm. because sex is just a component or a tool of communication within a relationship. Mm -hmm. And you can learn spiritually and sexually with more than one person if you are open to it. Mm. You know, because jealousy is the worry. Sexuality is a wonder, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing could be a tool for your growth, I guess. And it's just like the closeness to like your values that you think you need to yeah. hold so tight, like yeah. how you grew up. And we, our friend Peter Kelly talks about dropping the dogma and like, it's like dropping the shame around, you know, doing things differently. Yep. And I think it's so much about letting go of the ego because if I think about it, if my partner were to explore something with someone else just in a sexual way, it would I would just have anxiety because I'm like thinking about how it's not me or I, am I good enough in every way that she's, you know, like it would just be about me. It really mm-hmm. wouldn't be about, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Like I know. It, that's it. Because yeah. I would want my partner to feel joy and freedom and yeah like it's sometimes it's like explore. they could feel joy and freedom outside of you well that's the thing that's, and that's the whole thing yeah. that's a healthy relationship mm-hmm. is to not make that other person your entire yeah. world yeah it's interesting how my thing has shifted too like when I was younger I was like I mean looking at another girl like we'd be at a party look at another girl and I'm like Losing it, you know, yeah. or like porn, losing it, like yeah. losing it. Strip clubs say the word losing it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just so much more like not necessarily a fan because it feels low vibration to mm-hmm. me. So I'm not going to seek it out, but I just don't really care anymore. Like I'm so comfortable that with Justin, it's like if we see someone that's attractive, like I'll be the first to say it. You know, there's just something that feels so open 
you know, and it makes mm-hmm. me do it. It does make me feel more connected to him because it's like, we're saying what's obvious. Mm-hmm. We're saying we're agreeing. We're saying what's obvious. There's not anything we're hiding because yeah. I can read his mind. He can read mine. We're that we're connected. Same with anyone yeah. that you're with for the most part, like Lindsay's, I can read her mind. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're connected enough to read your mind by saying what you're both thinking, it's almost like, okay, phew, mm-hmm. you know, like I want to fuck that dude. <laughs> <laughs> so was it awkward with your family then? It was a little awkward. And then my mom like pulled me aside. She's like, what's going on? Like, give me the cliff notes. And I was like, but you told her. Oh yeah, you're close. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, hold on. And then she of course thinks she needs to handle things. And so she like, she went out because like Farhad was just like being a shadow of himself. She grabbed him. She's like, listen, your family, I don't know the exact, like, I don't know exactly what you're feeling and what exactly went on, but your family, we're going to be okay and you need to get it together. Mm. And he like, for mom. Yeah. And he like, he like was like, okay, yeah, she's right. Like, It's going to be okay. And things began to turn around and he began to open Mm -hmm. up again. Mm -hmm. And that's what led to us like really rethinking. Though I've realized like the edge for me having, you know, my whole story around abandonment, being with someone who doesn't want to leave me Mm -hmm. is actually my edge. He loves me so much and like just I'm his like his person and he just wants to like build everything with Mm -hmm. me that that's actually the greater edge for me versus going on and again, finding someone who's unavailable. Feel that. So... That's like when it stirs up a little bit of anxiety for you. Yeah. Cause I just, the patterning that I learned was that men leave Mm. and it's like, but wait, man wants to stay. Can I trust him? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I feel that. It's like, I want it so bad that when I get it, I'm like, yeah. yeah. It took me like four years to be like, oh, you're not like faking. Like with Justin, I'm like, oh, you actually are a good person. You are that sweet. You For are me, that. I just get anxiety about them putting a lot of pressure on what I could be. Hmm. Tell me you more. Know? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, if someone is like, you are my world. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I hope. You... I don't want to be your world. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mean it like that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a healthy, like, oh, I, I am fully committed to you. Whatever. Like, I maybe I'm just like, I'm out of that. I haven't had that in a very long time. I don't even know if I've actually ever had it, to be honest. But like that for me, like feels a little like, okay, so I got to be my best. Like I just got to like be that for someone. It's like, feels like pressure. Yeah. Got to work through that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I don't want that. You want to stand side by side, not facing. Yeah. hundred percent. Each other. You're so right. You know, you don't want... I've always said that. I'm like, I want to have my own thing and I want you to have your own thing. I want to walk with you. Mm-hmm. I don't want almost to a fault. But mm-hmm. what is, how did he feel about the book? He loved it. Oh, yeah. he did. He was like a guinea pig. He like, he flew to Bali toward the end just to like Aww. read it all and like support in the final really? process. So he was a huge support, huge Aww. support. What yeah. was the greatest thing you learned from Seth Godin? Hmm. <sighs> Um, for our listeners who don't know who this, who Seth Godin is, he is, he is like the number one or had at one point, the number one marketing blog on the internet. Mm-hmm. He basically like invented permission marketing and how ideas spread online. Mm-hmm. And he has like 12 New York Times number one bestselling books. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I learned from him to, one of the big things is to make more mistakes. So his whole thing is that, and just like the relationship to failure and rejection. Yeah. And he's like, you're going to fail. Like it, instead of fearing when you fail, it's like you are going to fail. So then what? 
And so, yeah, relationship to putting yourself out there, trying things, making more mistakes. So he was always encouraging us through the process, like, mm-hmm. okay, let's fail faster, fail faster, fail faster. Wow. Because the faster we fail, the more we learn and the more we can adjust to what is like truly right and where this wants to go. Wow. So it was really, I mean, in, which was really uncomfortable. Mm. Do you Are work you, with dudes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Men and women. I don't really, um, I don't do coaching work as much anymore. Okay. I'm more write and create art and speak is like the vehicle yeah. to reach people. yeah. Um, which is a whole other evolution realizing, as Julia Cameron calls it, I was being a shadow artist. What do you mean? Mm. So a shadow artist is someone who is behind other people helping to elevate and push them forward because they're afraid of stepping into the light. And so when I became like a coach and a catalyst, I was helping all these creatives realize their ideas. Wow. And not realizing my own. And so that was a whole other transition Who was the teacher that taught you that? Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron. She has a book called The Artist's Way. Oh, yeah. it's in the artist's yeah, way. Such a good one. Wow. So that is so true. There's two things I wanted to talk to you about in your book. And then this was one that I believe, so I want to talk about it. And then you have in here talking about anxiety. If mm. my anxiety is a signal that something is out of alignment, what it is trying to tell me is dot, dot, dot. Mm. And for me personally, I've always felt like when I've been the most anxious is I'm living a life that's unaligned. Yeah. My anxiety is completely 100% related to living in alignment. And I feel like that anxiety is telling you to redirect or it is telling you to do something differently, Mm -hmm. you know, that you need to like follow something differently. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I like, I love emotions and I love feelings. I, my whole idea is that our feelings are our friends. And if we can learn to listen to them, let them voice whatever they have to say, we can hear what insight Mm. is they have the emotion has for our life so like anxiety is often trying to tell us it's like that loyal friend that wakes us up in the middle of the night and it's like hey something's not okay something's out of alignment and i am going to be really loud and annoying until i get your attention mm. and so when we realize that our emotions are often just trying to get our attention and getting us to wake up then we can understand whatever message they're trying to give us so exactly that most most of the time when i'm when people are raging with anxiety it's because something is off it could be the way that they're working. It could be who they're working with. It could be who they're partnering with, the friends that they have, you know, something's off, what they're eating. And until we can really peel back the layers to understand, you know, what is out of alignment and what living in alignment would look like for them, that's, that always quells and reduces the anxiety. Wow. Yeah. Completely agree. Did you have something else in the book that you were going to? Yeah. Go ahead. I want to talk about one of the Instagram posts that you posted oh. that I really, really loved. I love your little drawings. Thanks. Um, and it's a drawing that has a bubble. It's a talk bubble that says they are not respecting me. Mm. And then it's an arrow pointing to it that says not taking responsibility. And then there's an arrow or there's a talk bubble on the right that says I'm not setting clear boundaries. And then an arrow pointing to it that says taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I, I had this. I had these friends that I kept thinking they're asking too much of me mm. and they're not respecting me. And why are they asking so much? And when I paused and thought about that for a second, I was like, whoa, I'm being a victim. Like they're not doing anything to me. I'm just not being clear around my needs, my boundaries, and I'm not respecting myself. And, you know, it's so easy to fall into the blame game, to point a finger at someone else, to say that they're doing something to us when really we're doing it to ourselves. And so anytime I notice myself saying they aren't, I pause and I say, wait, what am I not doing? Mm. And turning, always turning the they into the I so that I can claim responsibility again to realize like, wait, yeah, I can set a boundary here. I can let them know what I do or do not want to do. I am the one in control here. 
And, you know, that when we when we do that, that changes our life mm-hmm. completely. 100%. Yeah, to know that we're in control and we have the decision. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's like something that especially people going from their 20s to their 30s experience because you're going to have to kind of, you are your own gatekeeper in terms of relationships and the energy you let in and the opportunities you take or let pass by and to like really know that you have that power. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just stand and like, well, you know, like this is just how my life is, or this is kind of what, you know, my path is looking like. And to know that you have that power is, is sounds so simple, but it's really a practice. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's my favorite thing right now is just that people create their own reality. So mm-hmm. people are going to get whatever they're expecting that they're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're expecting people to not support you, then you are perceiving non-support in all Mm -hmm. areas or you're looking for it. Or if you're expecting people to um, treat you poorly at work or disrespect you at work or, you know, it's just you get whatever you expect. And I think that people need to take more responsibility for their role in things Mm -hmm. than they do. Life isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. Yes. So you need to take control of the situation and how you perceive it. Yes. And once you fill that that space, once you fill that energy space that's lacking in a situation where you're expecting things to happen to you, your life will completely shift. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a lack space with energy that fills with um, negativity or the other side um, that often happens that I see. So I think that that was like my favorite. I love those drawings. Do you do Thanks. those? I do. You do wow. those? Yeah. Wow. Cute. True artists at them. work. I love them. They're so fun to me. I wish we could talk all day. I know. <laughs> but we can't. But uh, this was like such a treat. Yeah, and such so a treat. Fun. So inspired by one, your book and two, your story. I'm like really grateful that um, you were willing to share so mm-hmm. vulnerably today about your father and your relationship and just everything. I think, um, and you'll see, I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners will deeply relate. So mm. thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how can people connect with you? Um, I'm on Instagram. I love the, I love the gram. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Amber Ray and Ray is spelled R A E. And the website for the book is choosewonder.com. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear, it's always it means so much to me to hear what lands for you and what resonates. So mm-hmm. if there's something from this podcast that in this episode that you're like, oh, that, let me know. I'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. That's great. Love that. What can they expect from the book? They can expect to move beyond the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the doubts that are preventing them from expressing their gifts in the world. Mm. They can get to know how they can reframe envy and see it actually as an ally. They can get to know how they can reframe anxiety and imposter syndrome and perfectionism and understand what those sorts of emotions are really trying to guide them to. Wow. Love it. Powerful. Thanks, honey. Thanks, sister. Yeah, You're thanks. Red, we're so ha- Red Hawks unite. Yeah. <laughs> Red Hawks. Just to tell you, yeah. we got, we're in New York and Amber came came all the way here to Hotel Indigo. In Hotel in- Indigo. So we're really grateful that you mm-hmm. made the trip over from yes, Dumbo. Of course. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. We love you. Join our secret Facebook group. Amber, you should join the group. I'm in the group. Oh, you are in the yeah. group. Okay. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, good. So we'll start the combo in there um all right we'll see you next see you next week bye oh amber ray what a doll what a doll doll. she's gonna go far not that she's not already far honestly she's gonna go even further inspires me and i hope it inspires our community Mm -hmm. and and people beyond that to just like be like so 
profoundly honest with yourself mm-hmm. like yeah. throughout it all. And yeah. truly that is like the secret sauce because I think she could have written a book that was a little bit fluffier, you know, and she chose to write a book that was like really truthful. Yeah. And I think that's, what's going to say. I think that's apart. a really profound statement. And her Instagram is at Hey Amber Ray, A M B E R R A E. I know I mentioned that I love following her. So you can follow her on Instagram and then get her book, choose wonder over worry. We're actually going to be doing a giveaway of three books for Instagram. Mm-hmm. So check it out on Instagram and you can find, or you could win one of the copies of her book. So thanks Amber for joining us. Amber Ray for joining us. Um, thanks guys for listening. It means so much. And we will see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye.